I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, it's Tuesday, 21st of April. I'm Andy Brassel. She's Jules Breach. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. This week, ding dong, Mr. Sports Director's gone almost. We've got Rob Harris from the Associated Press joining us to break down the mechanics of the deal that looked like it's destined to happen. As it stands now, the Premier League will be trying to delve into the backgrounds of the ownership. It should be an absolute non-negotiable starting point that a state should not be allowed to own or run a football club. I mean, that, that really should just not be questioned. So, Jules, how's your week been? Still on the mend? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Andy. Um, It's been another busy week, though. And thank goodness for work, because it's the only way I know what day it is at the moment. Thank goodness for the Football Ramble Daily, because I know that today is a Tuesday because I'm talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, that that is the best way of uh, taking it in, I I think. Uh, Right, let's get straight into it, um, because there's a lot going on and a lot going on for Newcastle United supporters at the moment as they're trying to get their head around the fact that Mike Ashley's more than decade-long tenure at the helm, I know it's unbelievable, isn't it, that he's been in charge that long. Looks as if it's... uh, Uh, coming to an end with another Amanda Staveley led bid to take over uh, the club looking as if it's going to reach fruition backed by the Rubin brothers and of course uh, the Saudi Arabia National Investment Fund. Yeah I mean this potential takeover at Newcastle is massive massive football news. Newcastle are one of the biggest football clubs in England but as you say Andy rather than moments on the pitch, a large focus for the Northeast club for the last 13 years has been the fans' relationship with the owner. But now the reign of Mike Ashley at Newcastle could finally be coming to an end after a deal with Saudi Arabian investors for a £300 million takeover appears to be imminent. So to clarify exactly where we're at with the mechanical process of how takeovers happen and where we are right now with the situation at Newcastle, we caught up with Rob Harris earlier on from the Associated Press. Well, what Newcastle fans and Mike Ashley have discovered is that selling a club can be as difficult as buying one because how many times over the years have we talked about a potential sale of Newcastle and one potentially brokered by the financier Amanda Staveley? So it seems like we've been here many times before, but it does seem further down the line now with 
so many Newcastle fans drawing that hope from a document posted at Company's House last week. It's not a time for celebrating goals with no football, but for checking out the Company's House register to see uh, when documents appear there. And that showed the financial relationship between Mike Ashley's side and Amanda Staveley, which showed that a takeover was in the works with a, a vendor's loan, quite a complex mechanism that, again, fans have had to get to grips with over recent days. But it now does seem further down the line in terms of Mike Ashley preparing to sell to the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund, the Public Investment Fund. It's now at the Premier League. They're assessing the suitability of the investment fund of becoming the new owners, which means they have to pass the owners and directors test. There is also going to be, if it goes through a holding by Amanda Staveley, 10%, and another 10% by the Rubin brothers, who do have a connection with Newcastle because they have uh, property investments there. But now it is all down to the Premier League and them determining, is this a suitable ownership to take over for Mike Ashley? I mean, Rob, I, I guess our thoughts are, and certainly wider thoughts of uh, supporters and, and football media, is that maybe this is a a, a bit of a, a fair complete. Um, how has coronavirus and the current hiatus affected this deal and how could it affect the speed with which uh, the new owners take over the club? Yeah, but the Premier League do say it's operations as usual there. They're in a bit of a quandary in terms of when the league does resume, but actually it gives them this pause in terms of operations to actually go through the process to determine the suitability of ownership. I mean, there's obviously increased uncertainty as regards to the finance of the Premier League for the uh, incoming ownership because of the lack of clarity yet over whether the season will be completed. There is that hope and desire to complete the season. And as it stands now, the Premier League will be trying to delve into the backgrounds of the ownership. And it's not fully clear how much they do take in consideration some of those big wider human rights questions because in the long handbook of the Premier League it does not include any reference to human rights you might think it shouldn't do but even FIFA actually now do have a human rights policy which is said to protect their business dealings they don't always abide by it or you can still uh, find things they're doing that don't necessarily uh, comply with them but perhaps the key thing people will be looking at it's F1.6 in the handbook, which is um, assessing whether a potential owner has engaged in conduct outside the United Kingdom that would constitute an offence if such conduct had taken place in the United Kingdom, whether or not such conduct resulted in a conviction. And this all relates to the big wider question of Saudi Arabia, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is behind the investment fund, and the questions over how much he should be held accountable for the killing of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi uh, in the Saudi consulate in Turkey um, a couple of years ago. Now, the Premier League in the past seemed to have taken quite a hands-off approach to that sort of stuff that you were talking about outside the country, like we saw Thatcher Shinawatra owning Manchester City um, for, a, for a spell before the current ownership, for example. But in terms of actually getting this over the line, I mean, we've, we've seen... Um, a, a potential takeover in Roma, well, a, a, another uh, takeover that was um, meant to be a, a fair complete between two American groups sort of paused in, indefinitely because of the current uncertainty over there. I mean, are we saying that the Saudi group just have so much money that it's a palatable risk for them and this can go ahead regardless of the current situation? Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends on how available the people are the Premier League do need to conduct the investigations and whether or not effectively any of that has to be conducted in person they actually have to go to places and to do anything on the ground or whether it can all be conducted remotely it's um you know a very complex one for them tax and Shinuata is an interesting one that was 2080 obviously sold to Sheikh Mansour there were some suggestions around looking back on that, that the Premier League did put some pressure on Tax and Shinarata because of the growing concern about his conduct and in Thailand as Prime Minister and the uh, criticism of the human rights group. So it was quite interesting at the time whether or not actually the Premier League did softly apply some pressure, which ultimately led to that sale to Abu Dhabi, brokered by Amanda Staveley. So the names do keep recurring. Uh, but it is this question you know will Newcastle try to sort of actually say 
the distance of the crown prince from the running of the club is so great that actually he should not be a factor in there? Or do you actually go to the top of the sourcing of the financing and who ultimately might have a say on the fund and determine that's a prohibiting factor? And I'm sure the, the Premier League will be taking counsel from the government as well on this. Well, on to the other two parts in this ownership, aside from the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, we have Amanda Staveley, who you mentioned already there, and the Rubin Brothers, who you rightly said has already got a connection with Newcastle because of their investment in property in the city. How important could the Rubin Brothers be in making this deal a success? And do the other two parties in the group offer the right balance that makes this deal work? Yeah, if you look at Amanda Staveley, probably the questions are why it's taken so long to get a deal done. A lot of people look on the outside and think if she's bringing wealthy people to the table, why are they sort of haggling over uh, the, you know, the, the, the fractions, the tens of millions if they are so wealthy as they are? So you know, it's obviously been a difficult time for Mike Ashley to try to conclude the deal. He's had public rows in terms of... Um, her inability to complete in recent years you look at the Rubin brothers who are you know incredibly wealthy worth you know almost 20 billion pounds through the family and they do have those investments in Newcastle which give them that connection it's not just some people coming in from abroad to buy a football club and get to know the area with the Rubin brothers at least they are bringing in that local knowledge and that might actually point to a desire from the Saudi end to invest more in the Newcastle area to build up property investments potentially to expand in the area if they look at what Abu Dhabi have done with Manchester they've built up the area around the Etihad they now want to build a new arena there the biggest arena indoor arena in Europe to rival the Manchester arena even down the road so the Rubin brothers are obviously bringing that additional sense of knowledge to the deal and to the table. And it will be interesting now what football expertise they do bring into the club to achieve their ambitions to um, deliver for the fans who have felt for so long, perhaps that they've had stilted ambitions or just sort of treading water or fighting relegation, getting back again to the Premier League, but never actually sort of pushing on to to get close to uh, success. Well, bringing that hope back to the fans is something that the fans are all so desperate for, isn't it, Rob? How how much of a difference could this takeover make to Newcastle United Football Club? Can you see them becoming one of the game's elite players? And from previous big money takeovers that you've witnessed, how long realistically will it take until the fans do start to see a significant change if this deal gets put over the line? It's getting those key transfers very early on isn't it and ensuring you make the decisions right and you aren't just having to perhaps do as Manchester City did in the in those early days which was throwing money at players to convince them to come to Newcastle obviously it was very necessary for Manchester City at the time given the status that they were that big challenge always convincing players to live in Newcastle rather than the London area will always exist there in terms of what they can spend the Premier League has relaxed some of those spending rules that were in place in recent years in terms of how much you could increase your wage bill by, but you can still only lose 105 million over a three-year period, showing if you, you know you can sustain those losses. And what's unclear at the moment, this would be a welcome situation for Newcastle fans to have, is UEFA financial fair play. Obviously, if they were applying, it would mean they're in the Europa League or the Champions League again. And what we're seeing around the coronavirus is a potential relaxation of those rules by UEFA that might allow investment to come back into clubs and owners to pump money in. Obviously, there is some criticism of that elsewhere in Europe, particularly Javier Tebas, the La Liga president, who particularly has a problem with state-funded clubs like Manchester City, like Qatar through Paris Saint-Germain, through the distortion, as he believes it, of competition. But even he's actually welcoming owner investment into clubs again if it reduces the debt the you know the thing is if Newcastle do start spending in this uncertain economic environment it could distort the market even more but it you know they could have this renewed financial ability and it just depends what message they want to send out with with that spending if they want to build up slowly or accelerate the spending very quickly once the own once the owners do take control assuming that it is approved. 
finally, Rob, um, we have to have a word about um, Mike Ashley because it's been a, a much longer spell at the helm as a, than a lot of people would have expected, uh, as you quite rightly pointed out. I mean, how will people remember him? And I'm not just talking about um, the supporters because obviously so many of them are so pleased that he's on the way out that they're almost not paying enormous attention to the detail of of, of who's coming in. And I, I think we can understand that. But from a media perspective, how is Mike Ashley perceived? I mean, he's someone who's got a very strong image, but he's very difficult for the, the media to get to know. And he always has been predating his spell in charge of, of Newcastle United. He was the, the guy who, when he came into the club, tried to apply some of those general principles. Like he wanted to um, monetize player interviews. He wanted to uh, charge for that and create um, preferred media partners. How will you and your colleagues remember him, do you think, as chairman of Newcastle United? The fact that Mike Ashley saw Newcastle as a business quite purely beyond the football club is probably what led to some of these decisions which backfired on the fans. Perhaps in those early days, he did try to sort of ingratiate himself with the fans, be the man of the people, the downing of the beer in the stands and trying to sort of be that bigger figure amongst them. But then he sort of retrenched and became more of this sort of uh, um, figure who divided the fans well more than divided I mean, you know so many are happy to see the back of him whether it's his treatment of um Shearer Kevin Keegan the renaming of uh, St James's Park it shows what happens if you don't properly engage with the fans to avoid that sort of backlash and you just wonder if there had been that engagement whether it had been a better relationship with the fans you know the, the criticism of the fans is the lack of spending at times over the years the fact they've been profitable for so many years of his reign is something that in the business world would probably be celebrated but obviously to fans not seeing that reinvested in transfers and not really achieving much on the pitch is something obviously went down uh, so badly with them but uh, you know so much of his ownership though seems to have either been about trying to sell or uh, raise money and you know it's never been that settled sense where he's been able to sort of outline a wider vision he's always been talking about potentially leaving when a trophy's won or desperate to bring the financing in so I suppose the most amazing thing is sort of lasted there 13 years when you know probably expecting those early years he wouldn't actually be be hanging around long and question is is always when do you sell and now it's looking like a 300 million pound deal they are sort of effectively looking secure in the Premier League if the season's completed. So probably now is the the best time for him than ever to sell. It does show how badly perhaps he's gone down with the Newcastle fans that they're willing to overlook all those questions around Saudi Arabia and almost get behind the uh, the country, um, you know, because they're, they're so desperate to sort of see a new person take take the reins to actually try to take the club in a new direction. Thanks so much to Rob for joining us. Really illuminating that, Jules. And, um, you know, there there is something I think we, we're going to have to go back to. And I, I think it's the, the the split opinion that there is over over this, this takeover. And um, I, th- I think it's, it's interesting seeing the responses of a lot of Newcastle fans on um, social media because obviously so many of them are pleased to be rid of Mike Ashley. And as Luke pointed out quite um, rightly on the, on the, on the previous show on, on, on football ramble daily on Friday, um, generally Newcastle supporters complaints about Mike Ashley weren't about his working practices or his wider business practices, but about his perceived neglect of the club and about the fact that he took advertising off the club for for free um in terms of um St James's Park itself and 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 stuff like that so you know there's there's no suggestion really that Newcastle fans of at large and you know we can't really generalize that much have have changed tack in in terms of their judgment of owners or potential owners um and also I I I tend to think that really as Rob was pointing out, it's the Premier League's job to 
do a job in assessing what's right and proper in terms of the sort of people who are, are, are taking over and um, getting involved in the Premier League. Also, I think there's a degree of sympathy to be had for uh, the, 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 the Premier League because I know a lot of people won't feel that, but I tend to think that the, the, the product, for want of a better word, has accelerated financially so quickly that it's been quite difficult for the Premier League to get a handle on dealing with this sort of stuff. I, I think mm. the amount of money that is needed now to get involved in in a Premier League club is so much more than it was even 10 years ago. You know, clubs like Chelsea and Manchester City, particularly, of course, in, in, in the last 15 years, have, have, have really accelerated that. Um, but let's get back to the fans. Now, I, I know some of those Newcastle fans especially on, on social media, have, have felt kind of attacked in a way. I don't feel that there's been any massive judgment of the fans out there. No one's saying, um, you know, it's, it's up to the fans to, to to deal with this. Although I do think it's reasonable for fans to have a view on it. And also, as as Pete was saying again on, on, on Football Ramble Daily on, on, on Friday, he said that, you know, it, it might possibly change his relationship with the club and I understand that not everyone will feel like that but I think opinion will be really split amongst Newcastle United fans I mean we we heard that um email on uh yesterday's ramble um that Pete read out from uh, the comedian Ben Vanderfelt and I think the the phrase he used was would Sir Bobby approve of this this takeover which I, I think's quite an emotive and a very interesting way of of, of putting it and um, I think Ben framed it very very well in his, his, his mail but I think for a, a lot of people it's, it's not just different people who will have different opinions on the legitimacy or otherwise of this this takeover amongst the Newcastle fan base I think fans will be a lot of fans out there will be conflicted in themselves yeah, I think there's like this element of confusion from the Newcastle fans isn't there because on one hand they are excited and pleased to see Mike Ashley on the way out, which is something they've campaigned and hoped for for a long time. But on the other hand, they're then reading that the potential new owners of the club perhaps are too good to be true or maybe aren't what they would have originally hoped for. And it's something that Coucho Club tweeted us about uh, on Twitter, Samp underscore champ. He says, hi, Andy, as a lifelong Newcastle fan, I'm finding the way journos react to the takeover hard to work out. Whilst I understand that the Saudi regime isn't pretty reading, as a fan base, I'm unsure as to what we're to make of this. Several journalists who work for The Independent have made a point to lament and critique Newcastle fans for wanting the takeover, but yet they hailed it as the sporting jewel in the Saudi empire when it was Manchester United in question. Please help a confused Geordie work out what the hell is going on. And you can you can really understand where Samp Champ Coucho Club is coming from there with his, with his tweet. And I think... The question really I want to know is how can these new owners win over the Newcastle fans, Andy? What do they have to do? I think they'll do it pretty easily, to be honest, Jules. Um, one, by investing in players, uh, which is important for all fans. And two, by making links with the community, which, as Rob quite rightly pointed out, is something that Mike Ashley plainly failed to do. Um, his whole business model was to, to, to just ignore shareholders and stakeholders and get on with things and that was always his business model pre Newcastle United um so look I, I understand um that you know as as fans we can react to owners uh, and shareholders simply by the way um they they treat our club and I, I think it's reasonable to to do that and funnily enough I don't think that many people have criticized Newcastle United fans out there I don't think people have cri criticized Newcastle United fans for for welcoming the takeover or for being glad to be rid of Mike Ashley but I think as well we do owe it to ourselves as fans to question the people running our club and, and not to be unconditional cheerleaders for them and 
I can completely understand fans who have reservations about Saudi Arabia's human rights record. But on, on the other hand, are, are happy to judge um, the owners on what they do for a club and how they interact with the local community because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to um, make judgments on stuff sometimes that's not on your doorstep. And I, I don't think many uh, media out there, despite the perception, have really attacked Newcastle United fans for that. And I think John Nicholson wrote a really great piece for Football 365 um, yesterday where he said, you know, you've got to understand that people with different points of view are not attacking you. And and, and that's that's a, a really great point to make. And that as football fans, we should be thinking about the greater good, and especially at a time like this, we, and we should be thinking about protecting each other. And part of that is questioning the motives of people in power. And that's mm. that's not jealousy that's not saying oh right that club's got loads of money now and they're going to buy loads of brilliant players and so we're going to get stuck into them i think as a fan you have a duty to ask questions about the people who are the custodians of your club because that's what they are they're the custodians you as a fan you stick with your club for life you're going to be there forever in 10 years, 20 years, however long, maybe they're not going to be there, but you're still going to be there. So what the future of your club is and what the motivations of the people running your club are is something that's very important. And, you know, I I speak about this from personal experience. If if you go back to the late 90s when two, for the time, insanely rich Norwegian guys took over Wimbledon shortly after they bought John Hartson for seven million pounds, but they had other motivations. So people were right or would have been right to ask questions. We we spoke about Thaksin Shinawatra before, didn't we? And I think I remember quite clearly like the, the night that um, Mike Ashley took over Newcastle United. I think it was a 31st of January, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. It's right at the end of a, a transfer window. And I've got a lot of friends and family members who are Newcastle United fans. And there was a load of us in the in the pub because there were Premier League games on this week. And because of Ashley being a guy with money who was taking over and because of the prospective return of, of, of Kevin Keegan as well my Newcastle United sporting friends were celebrating the arrival of Mike Ashley and now that sounds totally wow. weird doesn't mm. it Do, doesn't mm. it George yeah, it knowing, does. yeah. knowing then what 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 we know now and um, one of my other good friends who was with us that night one of my oldest friends actually who used to be a business journalist he was sat there saying look i know you're excited and you think there's going to be um a period where it's not freddie shepherd taking money out of the, the the club but now someone investing in it mike ashley is someone who does not care about stakeholders and he will not care about what you think and he's not gonna plow loads of money in the club and i just didn't want to listen and i, and I understand mm-hmm. that because football and football supporting is about hope but I think much as they're pleased to get rid of Ashley, I don't think it's fair. At the same time as I don't think Newcastle United fans are are being attacked for being excited, I don't think it's unfair for other fans or fans of other clubs to say, well, look, it's your club. Ask some questions. Yeah, and I also think that there is, as you say, Andy, there is positivity around this takeover because it almost got to a point where... Any owner would be better than Mike Ashley for the Newcastle fans. So this news has actually greeted the Newcastle fans with some positivity. I know Jermaine Genus wrote in the Mirror a few days ago saying that this could revolutionise Newcastle United. There was also an interesting piece in yesterday's Guardian by Louise Taylor, who said that this would be a chance to make Newcastle a seriously big club again. And she spoke to some former players. She spoke to some fans as well. And there are concerns, of course, about the Saudi Arabian investment. However, there is a lot of positivity around this. And Alex Hurst, who's the chair of the Newcastle Supporters Trust, said that as supporters, 
What we want to see from our new owners is that the club is being run in a sustainable, transparent and ambitious manner. The involvement of Saudi Arabian wealth in the takeover is not a concern right now. And ultimately, any new owners will be judged like all owners are judged. And that is by how they treat the fans and how they run the football club. Getting those two things right is the most important thing. And I think that's right because football really is about that dream, that hope, the faith that you have that you'll go to a match and get that buzz from seeing your team do well or from a win over a rival or potentially going far in a tournament or whatever that might be. But under Mike Ashley, it just seemed like that hope and that faith that's so important to football fans had just been lost for such a long time, Andy. So I guess the question is, will that hope return with this takeover? And it sounds like from the fans' The, uh, the the pieces I've been reading from that piece in The Guardian, from the fans that Louise interviewed, that that hope is returning already just by a potential takeover. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens if this deal does get put over the line. It, it, it will be, Jules. And I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of what Newcastle United fans expect from people outside Newcastle. I, I think... Um, people look at them as a club and think they have unreasonable expectations certainly in terms of um when you tally that up with what what they've what they've won over the or haven't won over over the last 40 or 50 years um but in my experience Newcastle United fans simply want post Ashley their club not to be neglected and mm-hmm. that's why i guess a lot of journalists out there are, are bringing up um, <clears throat> the motivations and uh, the, the the human rights record um, of, of of the major shareholder, because in terms of what they're what they're able to do for the club, I, I don't think there's actually much doubt about it. I don't think I'm not expecting at least them to go out there and you know, buy Kylian Mbappe, for example, but. What they are going to do is make the fans feel part of it, invest in the community. And that's, of course, like like critics would say, that's how this kind of soft power works. That's how um, the regime at Manchester City, for example, have got a lot of local support. Now, it'd be interesting to see what sort of form that takes because Mm. I think when you look at Manchester City – because of the city of Manchester Stadium, now the Etihad, they were presented with a sort of blank canvas to do that. And they've, you know, created this old, whole Etihad football campus and developed the area all around that. Now, people who know St. James's Park will know it's very different because it's right in the city centre and there's no real place to build around that. So I guess this is where, and again, Rob talked about it, this is where, and you talked about it, this is where the Rubin brothers come in because they already have their property interests and local understanding and local knowledge. They're invested in Gosforth Park Racecourse, which is, um, what, three miles down the road. So that's where I guess the, the wider vision comes. But I don't think that, Newcastle fans are expecting them to go mad and win the league. And I th- I think in terms of what they would regard, certainly as short to medium term success, it's, it's not about, and this is taking away the um, moral questions over the, the sources of the money and, uh, and all the rest of it. What I suspect most Newcastle United fans will want is just to feel that the ownership actually gives a shit about the club and the, the the fans and doesn't totally neglect it. And, you know, it's something that I think we've seen season after season after season with, with, with Newcastle. And, you know, of course, there have been the, the, the relegations when Ashley has like completely neglected the investing the playings in, in the playing side of it. But they want to feel that, yeah, there's, there's, there's hope, that there's focus and there's a sense of the club wanting to connect to the fans and understanding that excitement is what it's about. It's not about winning every single year. It's about Mm. feeling that there's ambition, that there's progression, that there's connection with the, the community. All those things matter. 
It's an incredibly difficult um, subject because the Premier League are responsible for opening the doors to places where just any money, anywhere. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. We're going to get to some of your correspondence shortly. You can tweet us every week at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble on Twitter. Or, of course, you can email us, Jules and Andy, at footballramble.daily.com. Just to get through a couple of the other bigger news stories this week in the world of football involving the players, and something that's developed over the last 24 hours is that Arsenal became the first club to agree a 12.5% wage reduction during the coronavirus lockdown. However, Meza Ozil is among three Arsenal players who have rejected taking that pay cut. Now, it's believed that with these, these pay cuts, that the players would then receive that 12.5% back if Arsenal were to make it into the Champions League places and they'd receive half of that if they made it into the Europa League places. So Meza Ozil and a couple of the other Arsenal players have obviously decided that this wasn't for them for now, let's point out, these are the facts for now up on, up until this day. This could all change. They could change their minds. There could be a good reason as to why they've decided not to follow suit with the rest of the squad. But what do you think of this, Andy? And, and how do you think this reflects on Meza Ozil? Well, I think people will perceive things, especially with players, as, as they want to perceive them. And, and people have a certain view of Meza Ozil. Uh, they view him as someone who is the highest earner at Arsenal, who's no longer that important to them, who refuses to leave and is therefore a mercenary. Um, I think that is not only wrong, it is at best a, a gross oversimplification of the facts. And I think... Um, to uh, correlate what you perceive him to be as a player at this stage in his career and his uh, on-pitch usefulness to Arsenal with this issue. It's, they're two totally different things. I, I, don't, I don't think you can, you can tie them together. Now, I, I think if we go backwards, actually to a previous Ramble Meets that Luke did with uh, Dr. Erk- Surgut, who is um, his, his main advisor. It was very interesting and very illuminating on um, Ozil's uh, off-pitch activities and, and motivations. And um, Mesut Ozil is one of the most socially conscious footballers that that really you can you can think of from the the elite bracket of footballers. You know, this is a guy who um, gave up um, what two hundred and fifty grand worth of of World Cup bonuses so he could pay for medical bills for for Brazilian children. You know, he is a guy whose um, social consciousness 
um, for which Arsenal have hung him out to dry before, I might add. And um, charitable work speaks for itself. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's unreasonable for players, and we've seen it with Tony Kroos as, as, as well. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable for players, as we were saying before at the start, um, to, to ask questions of the owners to say, okay, well, if we are cutting pay, where's it going? Because um, Stan Kroenke, since he's he's run Arsenal, has um, talked a lot about the smooth running and the profitability of the club. And a lot of fans would argue that that money has not been deployed effectively to make Arsenal challenges. Now, this is a different issue, of course, because we're talking about... Um, keeping non-playing staff going, which is obviously hugely important. But bear in mind that when Barcelona, who were one of the first elite clubs to moot a pay cut, although it took a while to affect it after that, um, they had a 72% pay cut, um, Barcelona's players. And yet the union of uh, non-football workers at Barcelona, so like non playing staff, be it all across their uh, administrative operations and everything else, came out and said, okay, well, the players have given up all this money, but we've not heard anything yet. And I don't think it's unreasonable for a player, especially a player who's um, smart as smart as Mesut Ozil, to um, say, well, you know, where's this money going? If you cut this money, does that mean less tax goes to the NHS. The idea of him just hoarding his money, I don't think is consistent with his personality or consistent yeah. with his actions. So by all means, think that Meza Ozil is a playing dead weight. By all means, think he's past his best. By all means, think that Arsenal would be better off without him. That's fine. You, you, you can have those opinions. But to say that Meza Ozil is simply selfish and greedy just because he wants to know more about where that money's going, which I strongly suspect to be the case with him. I think that's really unfair. Yeah, I completely echo that, Andy. And um, on to some positive news for a player during the coronavirus um, pandemic. Ashley Young is set to sign a one-year contract extension at Inter Milan. Now, this isn't something that I thought we'd be talking about during this <laughs> pandemic, that there would be contract extensions or new contracts being put in place. But that is the case for the former Manchester United captain. And it's really good to see because he'd only made seven appearances for Inter before the football in Italy had shut down. And he'd obviously impressed the manager, Antonio Conte, and they've decided to give him a contract extension. He originally signed for an initial six-month contract, but now they're set to um, extend this till 2021. And this is just quite good news to read, isn't it, Andy? Because we've not seen anything like this in the press for probably the last month. No, it's, it's terrific. And I think uh, Ashley Young has done a, a brilliant job since he's, he's been there. Antonio Conte loves him. Uh, the rest of the players love him. I think that versatility and the fact that you really get a, a shift out of him. Remember, he's wearing the armband at Manchester United at one point. His leadership qualities uh, are, are not in question. Um, I think it's really terrific. I personally, Jules, and obviously I, I have my certain European football interest, I find it very exciting when you get English players, and we've seen it with Chris Smalling as well, and obviously mm. other Manchester United players who've sort of hit a bit of a, a a plateau in their old Trafford career, go and restart things in Italy. I have to say, I find it immensely exciting when you get a player like that, especially a player who's into his mid thirties now. Go and get this this new lease of life over there, and and that's really what he's had, isn't it? Of course, it's all all about assimilating to the lifestyle and the culture as well, and <clears throat> something I really loved actually. Um, which, um, you know, not all tweets age well, but this one from Ashley Young, um, where he, t- he talked about lockdown. And this was before we had full lockdown in the UK, actually. And he wrote, um, this may sound harsh, but treat everybody that's not in your household as if they have the virus. You just don't know. More, more importantly, just stay safe. That's what we're doing here in Italy. It's not an overreaction. It's just staying safe. And just remember, others should be looking at you in this way as as well. And uh, it's, it's a way of keeping your distance to ultimately help save lives. And a few people at the time 
I remember saying, oh, what's he what's he talking about? And I understand it's easy to look at in in retrospect, but I think the fact that it shows that he's part of Italian life, it shows that he's really engaged. And I think it shows what he's like as a as a guy as well. That idea of of leadership and that idea of wanting the best for other people. It's something that I really took from that. And uh, I, I thought that was terrific from Ashley Young. Yeah, so it's about setting examples, isn't it? And yeah. as we've said previously on Jules and Andy, is that these footballers, they are idols to people. And if their fans are seeing that they're saying, you know, isolate, this is the best thing you can do. This isn't a horrible thing. It's just what we have to do right now. Keep your distance. Ultimately, that will help save lives. Then that is setting an example. And what's interesting is that, as you say, Andy, at the start, people were kind of a bit like, is this a bit of an exaggeration? And and the fact is, is that at the time, for us here in England, because Italy were a few weeks ahead of us in terms of the coronavirus pandemic, we probably did all see it as a bit like, oh, that seems a bit over the top. But actually now, now that we're in a similar situation to what Italy were in a month ago, right now, we now understand that why that tweet was written and we understand just how important it is to stay safe at this time and and to stay indoors and obviously someone like Ashley Young setting an example there which is um, a really good thing to see. Um, Let's just finish things off today Andy with a few tweets because loads of you have been in touch. In fact a lot of the tweets and the questions we were asked this week were about the potential takeover at Newcastle. So hopefully we've answered your question. But just a little one off that subject. Um, Stephen Kilby says, you've both been to so many grounds around Europe. Which has been the best atmosphere for a game and why? And which places should be on my list? He said, thanks so much for keeping the pod going. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, so yeah, for me, you. Andy, from all of the Champions League grounds that I visited, I think the ground atmosphere that I enjoyed the most had to be at Borussia Dortmund. I will never forget my experience there. I've only been once, but it was incredible. It was it's it's like nothing I've ever experienced before at any other football ground. Just the color, that vibrant yellow, that wall of fans that are so loud and so intimidating. I've never gone pitch side to do my links before at any football ground other than I'd probably say the new camp where I've stood there and gone, oh, this is, this is tense and this is going to be intense for the players. The fans just feel like they are imposing on you at Dortmund and I just thought it was an incredible ground amazing atmosphere and definitely one that you have to visit Stephen I'm on board with that it's great choice Jules it's um, always special at at Dortmund Um, my other ones would be Galatasaray which is in the Guinness Book of Records for being the loudest sports stadium in the world is it really I I didn't know that and um, I I did um, an at the match there last year yeah like last May um, for Galatasaray Bajiktash and um, interviewing um, my good friend uh, Emre Okajan. And like, uh, at the time I was, I was thinking, are we going to get any of this for the pod? In the <laughs> end, it sounded amazing uh, with, with like, this was like, I was interviewing him in the stadium, uh, probably 45 minutes before kickoff and the noise was deafening i I could bear we could barely hear each other um but it sounded great in the end you can go back and listen to that episode on the uh old on the continent feed um and the other place i would say is 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 marseille because um the the sheer noise when a goal goes in is astonishing and the first time i went there there wasn't even a roof on it whereas now They've got the roof on as well, and they're doing a bit better on the pitch as well, which uh, probably makes a makes a difference. But yeah, it's a it's it's, it's a tremendous atmosphere there. Strongly, strongly recommended when we can all get out and about. And that noise, of course, when a goal goes in, takes us back to the beginning of the pod into Newcastle United, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. Well, thank you everyone for getting in touch with us this week. Please get your questions in for next time round. We'll of course be back this time next week, despite the fact we don't know what day it is. We will be here next Tuesday with lots more rambling. Andy, good to see you. And oh, I didn't see you today, but good to speak to you as <laughs> always. Um, have a nice week, keeping yourself busy. What are you getting up to? Um, well, I'm, I'm waiting for... Um 
loads of mails and correspondence from uh, the, ra- <laughs> the Ramblers at Jules Breach at Andy Brassel Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com of course uh, we'll be back on uh, Thursday me and Luke Moore for uh, On The Continent and I'll speak to you next Tuesday Jules yeah speak to you then remember if you don't send any tweets in Andy's just going to be sat on his sofa twiddling his thumbs so you better get them in <laughs> see you next week <laughs> This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.